Happy Buckets, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Losers Ball. I'm your host, Elon Shields, alongside my good friend and co-host, Double B, Big Brain, Ben Bremen. Ben, how are you doing today? We're doing great today, Elon. You know, snowing today, but the mood's happy overall. Not only am I with Ben Bremen, but we also have a special guest, someone who, you know, I'm very excited to introduce on our podcast. Uh, he is a author, a speaker. He has played at Villanova for college football. His name is Bodine Sanders. Bodine, why don't you introduce yourself? How are you doing? Gentlemen, gentlemen, uh, how you doing? Thanks for having me on, and uh, I'm excited to be here. And uh, yeah, I, I'm a former athlete. Well, you know what? I, I'm still an athlete because I play golf <laughs> and tennis. Just to say, I'm a uh, <laughs> I'm a former player, <laughs> but I'm still an athlete, <laughs> even at my age. You, you and Charles Barkley are one and the same. Same athlete right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but who who swings who swings better? How's your how's your golf? Oh swing? come on! Oh come on! <laughs> Come on, don't do that to me. Hey, he, he's improved over the past few years. It's not looking too bad. I saw that. I saw that. And uh, he um, he's, he's worked really hard. He actually doesn't live far from where I'm standing. Uh, one of his homes uh, is uh, not far from here, a couple of miles. And uh, yes, his swing has gotten better. But I guarantee you, <laughs> I guarantee you. I could beat Charles playing left-handed as a sophomore. <laughs> right? All right, as well, a sophomore, uh, right? <laughs> we'll have a losers' ball produce uh, live stream. Charles Barkley versus Bodine Sanders. Yeah, yeah we're gonna have but to have Charles. Sponsor. If you want to come on, <laughs> you've been challenged. Yeah, uh, so, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your book that you wrote, what drove you to write the book, and give the uh, the audience a little bit of a sense of who you are and your expertise. Absolutely. Um, you know, Bodine Sanders is my name. Again, I am an advocate for diversity and inclusion. And uh, I decided to write this book for a couple of important reasons, but I'll give you a, a good story. Uh, Howie Long, who's an NFL Hall of Famer, uh, I was attending his youngest son's lacrosse state tournament down in Maryland. And this was probably 15, 17 years ago. And our group was out tailgating and one of our alumni uh, mentioned to Howie that I started my athletic career at Cheney University, the oldest HBCU in the country and then I transferred to Villanova. And Howie being the uh, you know, intelligent, smart, worldly guy that he is, immediately understood what that meant, right? Going from the oldest black school to a affluent, traditional white institution, or as I say in my book, predominantly white institution. So he immediately knew uh, that was an interesting story. And he said to me, he said, you need to put that on paper. <clears throat> and I didn't know what that meant. So I said, what do you mean? He goes, write a book. So we had, a, we had a conversation about that. So, and then over the years going, and I live four miles from Villanova. So going back to tell, you know, to football games or basketball games, 
uh, or alumni events, you know, you'd have uh, classmates or teammates tell part of my story, right, over the years. And I, you know, having all that in my head, and then Colin Kaepernick, when he took the knee, you remember that? Mm-hmm. And the, the, the kism that in the backlash and the conversations that started because of that, um, hearing those conversations and hearing people talk back and forth gave me even more inspiration to say, you know what, I need to write this book because I would see on TV, the media would say, we need to have the race conversation. And I would immediately think, yell or throw something at my TV, obviously something that's soft, (laughs) and say, uh, you know, athletes that have played a team sport and it's a diverse team sport have had the race conversation. Why? Because we're together all the time. If you specifically think about any sport, when they're in season, those teammates are together all the time, right? And so mother nature makes it, creates an opportunity for you to have the race conversation. It could be about pop culture. It could be about clothes. It could be about food. It could be about where you're from. And it could be any reason you just all of a sudden find yourself as teammates having race conversations. They could be light, they can be medium, or they can be uncomfortable. It just depends on what the topic is, right? So all of that thing, all of those things added to, you know what, let me tell my story, write my story because I know what exactly it feels like. I know I have the experience and I think it would be valuable for people to, to, to know the story. And that's when I got started with it. Wow, that's... Uh... So it seems like you've had a you know a really uh, I'm trying to trying to put the words here about a very you know you've lived in very different kind of situations you know grow, growing up in the south and then moving north to Philly going to Villanova which you know even I believe like Christian denomination wise is completely different Villanova being a Catholic school I believe you said you grew up in the in the Baptist uh, in the Baptist so what was it like going to, uh, as you said, a PWI, what was the, your initial reactions? Was there some sort of culture shock when you, when you go out there? What was your experience like? Uh, it, it, was, it was not culture shock. I was concerned, but it wasn't culture shock. And the reason mm-hmm. I was concerned is because my sister and a few friends uh, back home told me what I was getting into, I didn't believe it. So I'll give you a quick story. While I was at Cheney, I was only at Cheney one semester. I had an opportunity to travel from Cheney to Villanova for what was called a Black Cultural Society. That was the the organization on campus. Nowadays, it might be called the Black Student Union, or the black alumni, you know, whatever the organization, multicultural organization, there could be a number uh, of titles now, but this is again, back in the eighties. So I traveled over to Villanova, which is not more than 10 miles, max 15 from Villanova, the distance between Cheney and Villanova. 
So I go over for a Black Culture Society party. That means there are most, they're, you know, all or predominantly Black students at the party. I assume Villanova had a, a, a larger uh, Black uh, ratio in terms of the students because it was during Easter weekend and there were no white students around, right? Mm -hmm. So the only students I saw on campus, the two days I was there were black students. So, right? So when I, over the summer, go through the transfer process, transfer, and my sister who's attending an HBCU herself, uh, Bethune-Cookman College is now Bethune-Cookman University now, and she was, my sister's two years older than me, uh, she, you know, I remember it like it was yesterday. She says to me, just because Georgetown has all black basketball players on their team doesn't mean it's a black university. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Remember Patrick Ewing was there at the time. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard? Right. And oh, yeah. so, and so that was her way of saying to me, Hey, just because you, you saw a lot of black students at this party doesn't make it a black school. So, I arrived on campus and immediately I figured out that I was wrong. My sister was right, right? Doing freshman orientation the first two days. I didn't see anybody that looked like me. So I was like, okay, I was wrong. <laughs> All right. So, but to answer your question specifically, no, it wasn't culture shock because I was there for one reason, at least in my mind, I was there to play football. I went from Cheney, which was a Division II football program, to Villanova, which was a Division I AA program. So I was stepping up. And as a little kid, a little chocolate morsel growing up from the age of, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, until my mom allowed me to play football in junior high school, I always dreamed of playing big-time football. I grew up where you're talking Auburn, Alabama, Florida, Florida State, Miami, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, Vanderbilt, you know, it's this big time football, Georgia, you know, the Georgia, Florida game was in my hometown, uh, deemed or, or has the moniker of the world's largest cocktail party. People would literally come in a week <laughs> early with their RVs and then leave three or four days after the game ended. So, it, it, you know, I grew up with big time watching big time football on TV. So that's what I wanted to play. So I didn't leave Cheney because I didn't like it. I left Cheney because it was a better opportunity football wise. So when I got to build, when I arrived on the campus, um, I was focused on football. But yes, it was in the back of my mind. I did notice it. I was the only kid, right? the first mm -hmm. couple of days walking around campus and didn't see anybody like me. But eventually the more kids started funneling back on campus, the more I was able to meet, you know, other students that look like me and, and go from there. And what about from the other students though? Did you feel that they were looking at you in a different light and that they looked at you from a, like they were white themselves and they looked at you a little bit differently, or maybe they looked at you differently because you were a college athlete, because you were on the football team and that was a esteemed position to be in. Um, what about, you know, from their perspective, did you feel a little bit different? Did you feel it was because of a race situation, because you're a college athlete, student athlete or something else? Elon, that's a great, con that's a great question. And, and, and to be transparent and real and honest Yes, there were pockets of 
of my white brother and sister classmates who viewed me from the lens of a black athlete. There were some of my classmates who didn't give a ham sandwich if I was an athlete or not. They just wanted to know me as a person, right? And then there were some probably who didn't want to know me, right? Sure. So it, it, it's probably no different than any other campus in the United States. So to, to paint a picture of it was utopia, that would be wrong and it would, wouldn't be true. So, but that's part of life. Some, some uh, of our classmates appreciated that I was an athlete. What's wrong with that? Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and then some didn't care that I was an athlete. They just wanted to know me as a person. Uh, maybe uh, we, we had a class together and they, you know, viewed our uh, um, friendship as an opportunity to get to know other cultures and, and you know, those things that building a relationship. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure um, people had their own agenda <laughs> regarding mm -hmm. why they wanted to, to be friends, but, uh, you know, not not to 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 um, to jump too far ahead, but in the end, at when I graduated, I graduated with a positive outcome. But to stay on your question, yeah, I mean there were there were people who were not used to a a, a southern black gentleman with the Southern hospitality, meaning I would literally walk up to people, walk by people, I wouldn't walk up to them, but I would walk by people as people were walking by and i say, hi. Well, some people <laughs> who stay from New York, New Jersey, oh, yeah. you know, those people who don't like make eye contact and say hi, they probably thought that was a little odd. So sure, but then there were people who I would speak to and they would speak back and then we'd have a conversation. So everybody's personality was different and then everybody based on the region of the country, their personality could be different. I didn't hold it against them, right? My, my goal was, my first and foremost goal was, I was doing something for the second time. I had to walk on Cheney's football team and earn my way on. And now I had to go through the same process at Villanova and earn a spot on the team. So it wasn't my main focus, but yes, the 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 ratio and the and and the issue of being not the issue uh, but being in a new environment was mm -hmm. there because again i grew up in an all-black environment i'll give you the perfect another perfect example i i started playing football in junior high school they call it middle school now i had all black coaches all black teammates same thing at, at the high school level all black coaches all black teammates I get to Cheney, all black men coaches, all black teammates. I get to Villanova, there's one black coach. What are the chances he is going to be my specific position coach? The chances were, the odds were it wasn't going to be, and, he, and the odds were right. He was not my position coach. So not only did I have to adjust, adjust to my new environment as a predominantly white institution, I had to adjust, which was more important, I had to adjust to my new coach because I had never in my life played with white players or be coached by a white coach. 
So I had to make the adjustments. And I learned that it was up to me to make those adjustments because my individual, my specific uh, position coach, he coached other black athletes in his coaching tenure. I was the one that needed to make the adjustments. It was, I had to make the adjustment, right? It, it, it's not my coach's fault that I never had I never had experience being coached by a white coach before. So it was all in the attitude. So once my teammates, specifically my other defensive back teammates, helped me through the personality of of my position coach, I and I realized I needed to give my position coach the same level of respect that I gave my black coaches throughout my career right it was up to me to do that and once i did that he made me a better player so it was it was it was up to me though it wasn't his fault it wasn't an issue with him it was my experience i needed to grow evolve and and that's what i did over time Mm -hmm. well that's very interesting yeah i remember you know a couple weeks ago when we spoke um you were saying how when you switched to uh, to Villanova, it was actually one of the most, I believe you said that it was like one of the most diverse football teams that you played for, even though, you know, it was at a PWI. Um, could you kind of explain to, um, to our listeners like how, how you found that team to be diverse, even though, you know, going from, you know, from the HBCU to PWI, how, what, what was it like playing on that team? Well, the first day of our meetings, of meeting the coaching staff, I walk in the locker room with one of my teammates, Nate Booknight, who also transferred in. He was from a, a, a Norristown, which, a, which is a, a town in the area. He wanted to be closer to home. He initially began his college career at Liberty. Mm-hmm. And so... He and I walk into the locker room and there is, and let's just say, and, and, you know, it was 30 plus years ago. Let's say it's between 75 and 100 players, right? Trying out for the team, right? Trying to earn a spot on the team. Nate and I walk in and I and Nate look at each other because there are only three guys that look like us in the locker room. So we walk in the locker room. There's only five African-Americans in the locker room. Me, Nate, Charles, who's another defensive back from Philadelphia. Another player who I forget his name, but he was a defensive lineman. And a gentleman who I'll never forget, Frankie Baltimore, who's a running back from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Five African-Americans. Everybody else was uh, our, our white brothers and so our white brothers and teammates. So even in that level of low representation, it was still diverse because again, I'd never played on a team with a white teammate period. So I had to learn all of the things that Nate, who had experience playing with white teammates, right? 
he had experience, I didn't. So I leaned on Nate a lot for advice because again, I grew up in, as I describe in the book, the former Southern Confederate South or the former Jim Crow South, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a spin on words. Uh, and so, you know, the experience and the things that I heard and the things that I knew about in our history growing up, right, may not necessarily be the same experience I would experience here in the Northeast. I didn't know it, but, you know, I had to go through it. So in other words, one of the things we were, we were taught or we heard growing up in the, in the South is that all white people were the same, right? That's what we heard, <laughs> right? So if I heard that growing up from the age of one <laughs> to the age of 18 and never had a white teammate, never had a white coach, and then all of a sudden I get to Villanova, I've got that, that thing in the back of my head saying, they're all the same, they're all the same, right? And so I had to learn that through my experience with Nate and other teammates who were white, Right. And we were building a relationship. So those stereotypes were being broken down on a daily basis. Because if I'm having a positive relationship with John and Jay and Bobby and, and, and Nate is saying, hey, look, look, we're, we're building a relationship. We're a team. Right. And when you have great coaches and coaches are basically teachers and you have a good coach or a great coach, and that coach is teaching you about the foundation of sports, trust your teammate, have your teammate back, communicate, you know, all those things, hold each other accountable, protect each other. And if you're protecting, and I heard those things, those same things from black coaches. So if a black coach is teaching me to, to uh, protect my brothers, right, on the field and in the practice, and they're all black. Now I'm hearing the same thing from a white coach. And now we have a diverse group of defensive backs. That means those stereotypes are being broken down, right? I'm Mm -hmm. now building a relationship, right? With my guys. So that's another way you you can build great relationships by breaking down those stereotypes and those you know, bias, those unconscious bias you may have that most of us bring to the table. And if, again, if you've got a great coach and the coaches are teaching you those positive, uh, uh, the foundation of sports, right? Or the golden rule, or, you know, any, any of those positive cliches that you've heard, then, then, then sports is, doing it on a daily basis, right? You're hearing this every single day you're in practice, be it in the weight room, on the practice field, right? So it now you're now you're you're starting to change what you believe and and get rid of what you heard. Now you have proof that some of those things you heard no longer exi- aren't true. So now mm-hmm. you now you have something to go on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's got to be tough, you know, like just when, like everyone's growing up, you know, the parents say something to them and, you know, you hear from like a higher authority. So you, you want to take it for truth. But then 
I guess you kind of get out of like your own little bubble and, you know, you kind of like start to, you know, formulate like your own opinion, you know, seek your own truth. So it's got to be, got to be pretty difficult when you, you know, you've heard something your entire life and you find out like, you know what, Hey, that, like, this isn't, (laughs) this isn't true. Like, like we, like, I know definitely I've like heard uh, things growing up and, you know, as you get older, you get more mature, you know, you start to understand, understand things more and, uh, you know, you kind of, uh, you know, be more open-minded, hear different opinions, and and uh, and, and, yeah. and Ben, you, you're you're hitting it right on the head. Now, here here's the difference. I talk about this in the book, mm-hmm. and you mentioned it earlier. My grandmother was the one of the head ushers in her church. So on every Sunday, like clockwork, my my siblings and I would get up in the on up on Sunday morning. My mom would, you know, make us breakfast. We get dressed for church. A bus would pick us up, and we start church. What we call Sunday school. Sunday mornings we go to Sunday school. We'd have a break, and then we would go to church. So I grew up in my grandmother's church on Sundays, right? Mm-hmm. So what I was learning in church were factual things like the civil rights movement, the way African-Americans were treated, you know, fighting for civil rights and all those things. Those things I learned in church and in Sunday school. I, you know, uh, learned Bible verses, all those things. Out on the street, you know, walking home from school, participating, you know, going up to the park, you hear things on a different level, right? Mm. So, you don't that so those are two uh uh um you've got two ears so you got one narrative coming in one ear another narrative coming in the other ear and like you said at some point you've got to make a decision of, on, on your own what's real what's not mm-hmm. you know what's grievance what's jealousy you know what what the noise is so when I arrived at Villanova, that gave me the opportunity to learn for myself what was true, what was factual, and what was noise. And that's the way I, I you know, I was able to, you know, um, make my decisions based on my positive experiences as I went along. And, and, and so it, it helped me by the time I graduated. As I said, I, I, I finished with a positive outcome. Well, that's awesome. Um, how about we hear a little bit more about that in general? I mean, me and Ben, the extent of our basketball playing careers was basically high school basketball. That's basically all we've done. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about being a college athlete? You, you mentioned a little bit about how you had, when you were recruited, they, you know, you had went to the parties a little bit. So the recruiting process, everyone talks about that when you're a college athlete. Uh, I read in your book a little bit how you had dinner with Dr. J, or you don't refer to him as that, Mr. Irving, if I recall. So why don't you talk a little about some of the experiences that not everyone gets to experience being a college athlete, being, I guess, you know, one of the top dogs on campus, and also maybe some valuable things you've, you've learned from it, whether it's the cliches from just in general team sports uh, or other valuable lessons that you gained. Why don't we hear a little bit about that? Well, absolutely. So one of the experiences I learned was, and I talk about this in the book, after Villanova won the, the first basketball championship against Georgetown in 1984-85 season, 
April Fool's Day, right? Never forget <laughs> it. Um, during that summer, Ed Pinckney, you may remember that name, Easy Ed. Uh, Ed played for the Toronto Raptors for a little while before he got traded to the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. And so Ed was nervous about, you know, being in the NBA. And he wanted to practice as much as he could. And the first team, he was drafted by the Phoenix Suns in the first round. So we're in the gym and he's trying to work. He wants to work out and nobody's around. So I, you know, and, and I mean, work out. He wants to play, not just me pass him the ball, him take jump shots. Right. He wants to get a run in. Right. And so this little kid who I always noticed around the sports complex, his nickname was Shorty G. Right. That's how I knew him. Shorty G. This little kid. He couldn't have been more than 12 years old. Right. Little kid, though. And he says to Ed, well, uh, I can get you guys into St. Joe's. And back in the day, St. Joe's, um, Jameer Nelson, if that name rings a bell, that's yeah, where Jameer Nelson played basketball. St. Joe's is not far from also from Villanova, a couple of miles. And but their gym was a little bit more restrictive. You had to have ID in order to get in their gym. So we weren't thinking we were going to go to St. Joe's. We were thinking, let's go to Ardmore to the park. We know we, we Ed know he can pick up a game there. Um, but then this little kid goes, no, I can get us in St. Joe's. So we drive to St. Joe's and this little kid. And I'm thinking, who's this little white kid <laughs> going to get us in a, a college gym? And he's not even a student, but he got us in without having ID, right? He got us in the gym. We walk in the gym, and there's Charles Barkley and Sedell Three. And I write about this wow. in the book. <laughs> and so we ended up playing a two-on-two, right? Charles versus Ed and me versus Sedell. Now, why is this th that story? I mean, it's a great story, but why is it important? After we ended up playing each other, and Ed and 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 Charles had a had experience playing each other already, right? When Charles was at Auburn, mm -hmm. and Ed was obviously playing at Villanova. So, but this was different. Charles was a you know rookie well-known, probably rookie of the year, if I'm not mistaken, you know, establishing himself. And Ed is in the position of trying to do the same. So they are literally having a war against each other, <laughs> right? And so at the end of the game, we lost, by the way. <laughs> but it was good for Ed because he got a chance to, to see how he could hold up against a guy he played against in college and how that guy matured enough as an NBA player. So he had a way of gauging that. <clears throat> but on the way home, Ed asked Shorty G, who was he rooting for? And Shorty G says, I was rooting for all of you. And Ed said, why? He goes, because I love all of you. That's the first time I heard a white kid, period, 
said he loved black athletes or black players or a black person. I literally was sitting in the back seat going, what did he say? Those little itty bitty small experiences, if you receive them well and pay attention, you can learn something from it, right? So that's just one thing that, you know, stayed on my mind, right? And I was like, wow, I never heard that before. And then another example is Mr. Irving, whom I just, you know, my a young lady that I knew who was a classmate was the uh, personal assistant of Mr. At, at that point, Mr. Irving's uh, wife, Turquoise, and she was a Villanova student. And if she had class or something very important to do, believe it or not, they would call me on the phone and ask me, could I come by and watch the kids? You know, I was 6'2", 210 pounds. I was basically a bouncer, right? I was a security guard, right? So if they had to run a quick errand and they needed somebody and, and you know, the personal assistant wasn't available, because my dorm was literally down the street from their home. And so I got to know the Irving family. I got to go to the basketball games if I had a chance to. And in the old spectrum and in the basement, right, where all the locker rooms are, you have all the press core and all that stuff. And so if you're waiting on the players to come out of the locker room after a game, obviously you have to stand in the hallway. I got a chance to see the relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, that Mr. Irving had with his teammate, Bobby Jones. And I paid attention. So <clears throat> what I saw on TV as a kid, right, when they won the uh, NBA finals, right, I saw him hug all his teammates, but I also saw him hug, like he hugged uh, Moses Malone, right? He hugged his coach, Billy Cunningham. But the relationship I saw him have with Bobby Jones on TV, I got to see in person. And it was real. It wasn't fake. It wasn't just because they won the championship, right? So I saw how they interacted with each other as teammates, and that had an impression on me, right? So I was able to say, wow, if a living legend has a great relationship with his teammates, but more specifically his white teammate, I, I should be able to try to do the same thing. So that kind of experience, seeing that in real life, like I say, those little moments helped me go, okay, what I've heard or what I've learned about the relationships between black folks and white folks may not necessarily be true on a larger scale. So th mm -hmm. that's what sports will do. That's what sports will do. And then the most important one is you'll, you'll read in my book, I, I didn't receive a full scholarship or even a half scholarship. I had to pay my way through Villanova, right? And my fourth year, which was my, jun my, ju my junior year, 
right? My fourth year, uh, I didn't have enough funds to pay for room and board. I had enough to pay for tuition, but I didn't have enough to pay for room and board, which means my dorm and meal car. And I had uh, enough black teammates who would say, hey, you can, you can stay with me for a day or two while you figure out your situation, right? Because that's what I would say. Oh, no, no. Guys would say, oh, you can stay here. I say, hey, it's just a day or two until I can go to the financial aid or, or figure out how to, you know, overcome my hardship. So one or two nights I stay with uh, Bobby, uh, Dave, or I stay with uh, Rashid Walker or Jeff Dingle and Xavier Hargrove. But then one night I was in we called uh, Xavier Hargrove X-Man. I was in he and Jeff Dingle's room. I walked out of the room, walked next door just to knock on the door and say hello to the next door uh, uh, neighbors who were also our teammates. And I stuck my head in the door just to say hi to the guys. And they had heard that I was sleeping in the floor next door. And it was Rich Lage AKA his nickname is Big Country, and Perry Hodge. Perry Hodge was a freshman, starting punter, backup quarterback. Rich Lage, Big Country, was a backup tight end. And Rich Lage and I had experience. <laughs> he was a tight end, I was a strong safety. So in practice, we literally butted heads every day, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Every day. And so when we first met, say two years prior, I thought he didn't like me because I was black, <laughs> right? It wasn't he didn't like me because I was black. He didn't know me, but I was a jerk because <laughs> during, during one particular play, right, we should have been going 50%, right, not all out. And I'm trying to make a name for myself, right? So I'm going all out. So he gets mad at me and calls me a jerk, right? <laughs> so, but we literally, we butted heads every day in practice. All of a sudden, I stick my head in the door, say hi to the guys, see how they're doing. They heard I was having issues and a hardship, and they immediately step up to the plate and say, Bodine, you can sleep in our room all year round, no questions asked. Whatever you need, it's yours. Wow. Now, come on. <clears throat> I didn't expect it. Thank goodness I was too dumb, naive, and stupid not to open my mouth and say no, right? And and Perry wouldn't have let that happen anyway because by the time I was thinking about should I say no, Perry was like, where's your stuff? I'm going to move you in right now, right? So it, it experiences like that, and then once I moved in, I mean, people didn't think it would last. You had three guys from three different parts of the South. Rich Lage, big country from Charlottesville, Virginia, which is mm -hmm. part, of, part of the South. Yeah. Perry Hodge from Hilton Head, South Carolina. And then obviously me from Jacksonville, Florida. So you had three guys from three different parts of the South, right? Three different religions, Baptist, Episcopal, and Lutheran, <laughs> right? and throwing race in the mix. And then you had guys that were from three different economic class. 
Perry was more than middle class. Uh, Big Country was middle class, and I was, you know, working class. Mm -hmm. So we had all these uh, recipes, right, (laughs) going against us, but we made it last. We made it work. It lasted the entire year. We built a great relationship. We would, we, you know, we, Perry had a car, a sports car, and we literally jumped into his sports car. Perry was 6'3 as a quarterback, Rich Lage 6'4, 6'5 as a tight end, me 6'2. We jumped into a two-door sports car because I was the smallest. I had to ride in the in the, in the hatch, <laughs> right? <laughs> Mazda RX-7. I had to ride in the hatch. And we literally, we had a, a losing streak or something. We literally jumped in the car and drove to South Carolina to get away from campus, right? And mm-hmm. went out on his, on his father's boat, went out in the ocean fishing. Little experiences like that helps build a great relationship. Cause I, you know, when you're, when you're roommates, you hear about your family members, right? And I, Perry obviously talked with, you know, overwhelmingly about his parents. I talked about my mom and my sisters. Perry talked, I mean, uh, Rich Lage talked about well, as much as he had his, unfortunately his father had passed away uh, probably about four months prior to that. So he was in a different mindset and that was, which is so special about big country. His father had passed away at UVA because his dad was a coach, right? So when he arrived for fall practice, that's when word started to spread and we heard his father passed away. So the empathy that he had to take on a new roommate really shows mm-hmm. the heart that he had, right? And then Perry being a freshman, what freshman wants to live with three people in a room? But it goes to show you his heart. Right. But um, so we all had an opportunity to spend time together for the entire year. And it, it went beyond just teammates. We built a bond where till this day we talk where we, we you know, we are the best of friends. It's, it's it, we're brothers. Yeah. It goes beyond just, oh, yeah, he was a teammate. We had great experiences winning and losing together. No. We, we have a great relationship and it, it's been 30 plus years, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it shows that it's true. Yeah. That, actually, that was going to be my follow-up uh, question. I was going to ask if you're still in touch, but, you know, as you answered, you still are. And it just Absolutely. shows, like, how powerful, you know, these, like, kind of, like, small, you know, experiences can create, you know, more, more than just, like, that little, little, little experience, you know? Create some absolutely friendship yep. and uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's amazing to hear yeah yeah and you're also you're also a big guy so it's not just the you know all the different backgrounds but just physically taking up space it's it's not just like it's it's a lot to take on oh three big guys, three three big yeah. guys in a small dorm room you're bound to get on each other's nerves right yeah. it's, oh, absolutely. it's natural but we worked it out mm-hmm. we did get on each other's nerves at times but we worked it out and having the ability to work it out and being and having that foundation of teammates, brothers, having each other back comes into play when you're having disagreements because you know 
you don't want to let go of that friendship. You don't want to let go of that bond. So you're going to treat yeah. each other with respect, even when mm -hmm. you're even when you're having a disagreement. I like to say, and I, I, I write about this in the book, football players are naturally aggressive. Basketball players are passive aggressive. We argue differently, in mm -hmm. other words. Football players, when we argue and we fight, it's a fight, right? It's no, <laughs> yeah. we think we're going to throw a punch. No, no, no. A punch is being thrown. And, and I'm not trying to, 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 to beat up basketball players, but you've seen <laughs> basketball players have fights, right? So <laughs> you have a fight, uh, things get destroyed. So if you can have a fight, shake it off and still be family, that mm -hmm. means something. And and, 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 and and so we've had many of conversations I write in the book. We've had we had many of conversations that particular year about a lot of topics, race, politics, dating. I mean, it's all in the book. So. And having those conversations, you learn from each other. Like I learned that Perry and Rich had more diversity in their life and earlier in their life than I did because their parents focused on it. Their parents wanted them to play on diverse teams. Obviously big country, uh, uh, that was gonna take place because his dad was a coach, he understood, but when I learned that Perry's parents made sure he played on diverse teams so he could learn more than what his immediate space was, that's when I realized I was the one that didn't have diversity growing up because mm -hmm. I never played with anybody that didn't look like me. So those are the kinds, and, and you learn that by having conversations. You learn that by trying to build a relationship. And then you just, and then you watch the relationship soar. And that's what, that's an example of how we as human beings can advance our relationships regarding race relations. Take the competition out of it, right? And start with the low hanging fruit. Let's just build a, let's shake, meet, shake hands, introduce, introduce ourselves, find common ground, build on that and then we were and over time we'll work our way to the uncomfortable conversations because once we get to those uncomfortable conversations we've built a relationship strong enough where we it'll be able to hold still hold together mm -hmm. and as you mentioned um uncomfortable conversations you know us uh here at losers ball as being a basketball podcast we like to talk about the nba and this past season we saw the nba go through you know drastic change you know COVID aside, you know, going to the bubble and during the bubble, we saw, you know, a lot of activism, a lot of uh, players, you know, expressing themselves. And um, we want to know, like, what, what were your thoughts on, you know, the NBA's uh, activism inside the bubble and just, you know, in general, you know, we see players like LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know, some like their big name players taking stands. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think what they're doing is enough or do you think there has to be kind of a greater conversation going forward? Uh, definitely a greater conversation. Um, but I'm, I'm in a unique position. Mm -hmm. I was born in 1965. 1964 and 1965 are significant in the United States. The Civil Rights Movement and the Civil Rights Act were passed during those two years, Voting Rights Act and all those, right? So 
if you think about from 1965 till now, you're talking 55 years of feeling or legally people of color having the right to vote and protections against racism. It's not perfect, there's no silver bullet, but it, that's, that's when it started. That's not long ago, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you also, for me, my perspective, growing up watching Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and the, a lot of the athletes that were using their voice and using their platform, and then all of a sudden it went away. Think about it. For maybe a 20 or 30 year span, it went away. There was no one really protesting. I, th- I think the last person I remember uh, using their platform was Arthur Ashe when it came to AIDS and, and fighting AIDS, right? But prior to Arthur Ashe, you had that group I just talked about. Now you have the new generation. In other words, my generation didn't do it. What I remember from my generation is Charles Barkley doing a commercial saying athletes aren't role models, right? I think it was a Nike commercial, if I'm not mistaken, forgive me if if I'm wrong, but I remember the commercial and his words, I knew what he meant, but a lot of people didn't take it the right way. So the guys today are more conscious, right? They're aware they understand their platform. They understand the, the power that they have, which is similar to the Jim Browns and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's and Muhammad Ali's, right? Um, and I, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you have to do your homework and make sure you're doing it the right, not not doing it the right way. You got to make sure you you have all the information that you need, right? Because you're gonna make mistakes, but you wanna limit the mistakes, right? Um, it's a perfect example how today's athletes are more in tuned than my generation, right? Because again, yeah. there was not a lot of this during my time. Mm-hmm. And that's another conversation. But as you can see, everybody was on the same page. They worked together. They had conversations together. They did it together on all levels, the pros, the colleges, the one, at least the colleges that participated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I'm a, again, I'm an advocate for diversity and inclusion. Diversity and inclusion, social justice, equality, equity, they're all under pretty much the same umbrella of race relations. People just wanna be treated fairly, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be treated equally. So how do we get to that point? And so if the NFL used their platform one way, the NBA used their platform, NASCAR, hockey, baseball, volleyball, women's basketball, track, whatever. The thing about athletes is We understand, based on being coached, you do everything in agreement, and then you create a plan, you create a blueprint, and then you follow it. 
In other words, the difference between how the, the athletes in the sports industry handled participating after George Floyd, you see the difference between the general public, how they participated, they were kind of all over the place. The athletes understood we have to be, we're a team, we make a group decision, right? And then we follow that decision. So if, if the general public who want to get involved and want to participate and get off the sideline will use and follow the example of the athletes, I think more will get done. Because if you think about athletics, you're basically competing against one person against another person. My job is to force you to do something that you don't want to do. Right? Mm -hmm. As a team, our job is to force the other team to lose. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we practice doing this together. I, I mean, I'll use uh, a basketball uh, example. You have five players on the team, you know, starting five, right? Against the other team starting five. But you have enough players coming off the bench rotating, right? But the game plan stays the same. The goal is run the play the coach called. The coach is going to call a play based on whatever and, ex you know, execute the play, right? Football's a little different. You don't substitute that much, right? But you got 11 players on, on, on one side of them, and I don't like to use the offense as an example because I'm a defensive player, but <laughs> you got the quarterback. Quarterback calls the play. All 11, all the other 10 players have their own individual job they have to do. But as a collective, they have the same job. Get that first down, matriculate the ball downfield, let's score a touchdown, and let's keep doing that until the clock strikes zero. Right? Mm -hmm. So athletes are – and you don't have to be a college athlete. You don't have to be a pro athlete. If you're an athlete in peewee, pop water, t-ball, all the way up to high school, if you played sports and you had great coaches, you are still part of this process. An athlete is always an athlete. I like to say, when did you retire? Did you retire after high school? Did you retire after college? Right? I retired after <laughs> college, right? So some people retire after high school. It, but the, you still don't take it away. Once you're an athlete, you're an athlete. And if you were coached, you were coached on team, working together, team, team uh, effort, principles, communication, all of those things that matter, you don't forget them, right? <laughs> That's why you guys talk about sports, because you play sports and you love it. For sure. Yeah, it's a very interesting point about just doing everything unified as one. I remember when the Bucks sat out, I think it was the first playoff game in the bubble, and they protested that game. And the rest of the league was, a, they weren't upset that they sat out the game, they were upset that the Bucks made that stance without everyone else together as one, and they sort of, you know, took that stance apart from everyone else, and the league wanted to, everyone to be unified. You see it with the kneeling during the anthems. Everyone does it together. All the team, Both teams, the lock arms together. It doesn't matter which team you're on. Uh, I, I, that was a very in interesting point that you just made about it's got to be an organized effort, not just everyone doing their own, taking their own actions and just doing what's best for them, but rather what's best for the goal at large.
But just, again, you mentioned that the big advocates when you were growing up, Kareem, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, which NBA athletes, past or present, do you think really stood out taking the mantle of the next big advocates, the next big mentors and role models? Who's really stood out to you? NBA particularly, but also anyone in athletics in general, sport players? Yeah, I I like, I mean, come on. Hands down, LeBron and and Chris Paul, those Mm -hmm. those guys, um, you know, it's a little bit... I don't want to use the word easier um, because again, the mentality of basketball and football are different. Um, But obviously LeBron stands out and his crew and then the, and then the NBA um, the way that they have the freedom or feel like they have the freedom to voice their opinions and use their platforms. Um, in football, I think if I had to pick someone who I, you know, in football, you know, they picked the Walton Payton, Walter Payton uh, uh, athlete of the year, you know, who guy who's given back to the community, but specifically regarding social justice issues or diversity. Um, I don't know if anybody who's currently playing stands out. I know, well, you know what, Malcolm Jenkins, Mm-hmm. Um, when he and Chris Long were teammates with the Philadelphia Eagles, they did an outstanding job. Um, obviously, Colin Kaepernick um, had a huge impact. Uh, I think he could do more. Um, I think his approach no, his approach is different than my approach. Um, Obviously, the the um, gentleman who's in NASCAR, the the, the black mm-hmm. uh, NASCAR uh, Bubba Wallace. Driver, Bubba Wallace. Uh, I like I like what he's done. Um, so that's just off the top of my and I, and obviously above. I mean, as a team, as a group, the WNBA stands out more than anybody. Mm-hmm, for, for sure. sure. Oh, no question. They were lock stop. I mean, they were absolutely all on the same page, followed, created a blueprint, followed that blueprint to the T. Uh, so I absolutely uh, appreciate what they did. And it's only going to get they're only going to get more involved in terms of, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the female athlete and women in general across the board. Um I, I think they're, you know, in the next three to five years, um, things are going to be much different. They're going to be different perspectives and, and the way women have taken the opportunity to step into major leadership roles across the board. And I'm a little, I'm a little uh, biased because I have a daughter. So I'm hoping that happens. <laughs> so... Okay, so whenever we bring on some guests, we like to have these fun rapid-fire questions. It's a really quick questions, back and forth, just a one or two-word answer, just to hear your thoughts on various different topics, usually around sports. We'll go back and forth, shoot a question at you, see what you think. So uh, I'll go first. I'll try to keep my answers short. <laughs> yeah, no, no ex- also just no explanation needed, just you know, completely one word. 
we had uh you know our first guest a couple of weeks ago you know we had him and <laughs> it was just quick quick questions quick answers so elon take it away <laughs> all right first question who is the nba goat greatest of all time kareem abdul jabbar best villanova athlete of all time <laughs> you can say yourself yeah you can say <laughs> the best villanova athlete not not any particular sport any any, any sport. sport villanova uh the jenkins uh father and son team chip jenkins and his dad charlie jenkins uh both won gold medals uh, in their own time, uh, representing um, Villanova. Not me meaning representing Villanova. They were Villanova um, students. So we're, I think we're the only university that has a father and son who won a gold medal in, in the Olympics. Nice. All right. Which celebrity would you want to share a meal with? Which celebrity? Well, I've, I've you know... If you read my book, I met some living legends. It's a normal Tuesday night for you then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which celebrity would I like to have a meal with? How about uh, John Stewart, former uh, Comedy Central guy? Yeah. yeah. John Stewart. Favorite basketball shoe brand? <laughs> you guys are trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> uh well, Mr. Irving is all obviously a Converse. Uh, I, uh, you know, I got a one of my best friends works for New Balance. Uh, you know, I've got buddies who've been on the contract with Reebok. Uh, oh my goodness! We're gonna have to make our own brand then, <laughs> just uh, just so we don't get you in trouble. A, a, a friend of mine, uh, unfortunately, she passed away a couple less than a year ago. She used to work for and one. Didn't and and one? Didn't they make? Didn't they make sneakers oh, yeah. at one point? Oh yeah, of course. So I mean, I, it's across the board. My if I had to pick my favorite brand or a favorite brand, however you interpret it, no explanation. Yeah, we can't. We can't explain. <laughs> <laughs> we like the controversy, you know. Well. Here's a process of elimination. I've never worn New Balance basketball sneakers, so I don't know what that feels like. I've only worn, ooh. All right, I'm gonna just do it, Reebok. All right, Jacksonville or Philly? <laughs> he didn't give any, he didn't dangle anything else. He just said Jacksonville <laughs> or Philly. Oh, dude, Philly. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Huh? Is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> this is an actual debate. Is a hot people think a hot dog's a sandwich? People don't think. Oh, it is. a hot dog. Okay, yeah. Yeah. a hot dog is a hot dog a sandwich. Yeah. All right. A kickoff return touchdown or pick six? Pick six. You kidding me? <laughs> so these are some uh, basketball questions. How would you rather play twos and ones or threes and twos? Twos and ones. Chain mesh or a rope mesh? I'm not sure. <laughs> or no mesh, even. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know enough. Um, I don't have enough information about the... I don't know. Um, <laughs> wow. I don't know. I can't answer that one. All right. <laughs> we can skip it. Shirts or skins? At my age? 
shirts. <laughs> Young, younger, younger age skins. Absolutely. But if I had to answer it now, definitely shirts. I mean, uh, yeah, shirts. You you can pull off skins. Uh, and then the last rapid fire question we've got for you: Winners ball or losers ball? Oh, losers ball. <laughs> there we That's go. That's how we do it here out here. It's easy. So before before we you know we end our episode you know we want to ask you to you know leave our you know leave um something that our audience could take away from if they could take away one thing from this episode we want them to take away this part at least you know what can we all do to kind of you know help make society better you know in terms of you know whether we're playing sports or just in general like what experiences do you have that that the average person can take away just be like yeah I can help make a change uh, in today's day and age. Well, again, if if we as African Americans want to be treated fairly, and if our goodwilled brothers and sisters, white brothers and sisters, right, are making the effort to try to do that, then Everybody needs to leave their ego at the door, right? Leave the competition at the door. And truly, people need to think about that, right? We get so caught up in, in, in competing, wanting to be the first one with the question, wanting to be the best question, wanting to be this, that, and the third. Sometimes you just got to listen and let it happen, right? Mm -hmm. So... Just let it happen, low hanging fruit. Just let the process happen. If you're in the game, right? If you're coming off the sideline and you're in the game, let it happen. Don't force the issue, right? And for my black brothers and sisters, I might get in trouble for this. Uh, let go, right, of the baggage, right? Bring luggage to the conversation, not baggage, right? Bring luggage mm -hmm. to the conversation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and so there's no silver bullet, but if, if you're making the effort and you're genuinely, truthfully, honestly making the effort, um, then, then, we're matriculating the ball downfield. We're making advancements, right? It's not about throwing a Hail Mary and getting a touchdown on the first play. You got It's the process. Remember Allen Iverson talked about <laughs> practice, right? You can't just want to start and then end in the Super Bowl. There's a process in the middle. It's practice. You got you to do all of it, right? Don't mm -hmm. half step. Don't dip half your foot in the water, right? All those cliches, all those metaphors, all those analogies. The bottom line is you just got to be genuine, make the effort, and we'll just we'll be moving in the right direction. Uh huh. Thank you so much, Bodine. Thank you. On behalf of Ben and I, uh, I really want to thank you. We've learned a ton from you. You've had a ton of great things to say. We've enjoyed reading uh, parts of your book so far. We can't wait to finish it. And so. Just to all listeners at home, if you want to get his book, it's called Race Against Against Race. 
Where can they find the book? Where can they reach out to you? Well, I, I'd love to come back and we can talk about Kyle Lowry. <laughs> and <laughs> Great, um, Greatest Raptor of all time. <laughs> from Philly. From Philly. That's right. Uh, uh, you can go to my all the information uh, for my regarding my book is uh, on my website. That's mm-hmm. Bo, B-O hyphen D-E-A-N Sanders. I have a copy of it right here. Right. And uh, so bo-deansanders.com, all the information uh, that, that you could learn about me and folks that endorse the book and my media uh, interviews. And I hope to have your, your guys posted as well, sure, sure. your logo. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah, yeah, that's where you can find all the information. You can order it at any of your online retailers. That's the safest thing to do until we get over this pandemic right um and uh yeah so i, I appreciate it guys i really do it yeah, you know awesome. if, you, if you want me to come back again and talk about kyle lauer we could do that too <laughs> and we would love to have you back and we'll, we'll also add the website in the description so it will be easy to access for our listeners and viewers awesome our listeners might be a little offended you didn't choose Lowry as the greatest Villanova athlete of all time <laughs> but <laughs> you'll have to explain yourself at a later time <laughs> i will <laughs> Bozin, again, thank you so much for coming on. And for our listeners at, at home, also make sure to give us a follow, tag your friends on our pages on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, at Losers Ball Pod. And until next week, happy buckets, everyone. See you next week, guys. Thank you, Bozin. You got it.